This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk traffic. Good afternoon to you. I am Jason Kong here uh, with the pleasure to be with Mary Lucas with Transitions Life Care and a special in-studio in co-host with us today, and that is Dr. Laura Patel, Chief Medical Officer with Transitions Life Care. Dr. Patel, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Well, uh, we've got a new cast member here, but we also need to get to our guest on the line. We've been looking forward to this for quite a bit, and uh, we really appreciate Dr. Mandy Cohen, the Secretary of the North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services, for joining us today. Dr. Cohen, thank you so much for spending some time with us. We know you're, you're super busy. Well, good to be with you. Thanks for having me. First, I'd like to thank you and your staff for all the work that you all are doing across our state to protect our communities and get people vaccinated as quickly as possible. We know that this is no easy job. Um, so thank you for everything you guys are doing. Thank you. Uh, so on that note, um, probably the most popular question you're getting, I'm sure, is how are we doing with utilization of the COVID doses we've been allocated across our state? Yeah, great, great question. So the you know, the good news here is we are getting vaccine out basically as quickly as it comes to us. So our, we get shipments of vaccine once a week from the federal government, and we are getting those vaccines into arms before the week ends and before the next shipment comes. We've actually given out 1.4 million doses of vaccine. Um, and we are certainly not having any sit on the shelf. I know we got off to a, a slower start in the beginning of the January, but that our vaccine providers have roared back. So the vaccines are getting out really quickly. Our biggest problem continues to be just we lack the supply of vaccine. We just don't have enough vaccine to meet the demand that is out there. We know everyone wants a vaccine, which is great. I want them to have it. I just don't have the supply from the federal government. I know folks are working on that at the federal government level. We're getting more, a little more each week, but it's still really not enough. And so that's our biggest problem right now is not enough vaccine. That's a great point you bring up. We keep seeing the promising news of new vaccines hitting the market soon. I myself am in the Johnson & Johnson trial. Can we expect to see more vaccines coming in faster, especially as these, as these new vaccines are released? Well, first, thank you so much for participating in the trials. Those are so important. We know that these vaccines need to be rigor rigorously tested. Um, and the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is already getting reviewed at the FDA right now. I think there's going to be a public meeting at the end of February to review all of that data. So we're hopeful um, that we'll have a third vaccine on the market. And the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, as you know, since you were in the trial, is only one dose. Um, and it also doesn't require the freezer storage. So um, we are excited about having another tool in our tool belt, if you will, to fight this pandemic. Um, so we are hopeful that by the beginning of March, middle of March, we may have a third vaccine here. We're already getting ready, if you will, uh, for, for more supply. We're onboarding more providers. We're making sure they can ramp up their capacity if we should have those um, additional vaccines come to North Carolina. 
That's great news. So we hear this magic number floating around of 70 to 75% vaccinated as a goal. What does the timeline look like for us hitting that goal in North Carolina? Yeah, it's such a great question and one that's really hard to answer when you don't know how much vaccine is going to come to our state week over week. Um, What I'd say is we are focused on vaccinating those who are 65 and up right now, as well as all healthcare workers. And the reason we started there is because, look, we knew we were going to have limited supply, and we looked at our data and the advice from the the CDC. And unfortunately, what we see in our data is that 83% of the deaths from COVID-19 are in those who are 65 and up. So we felt like if we could get vaccine to those who are 65 and up first, and get them out as fast as we can, that we will make a dent in fighting COVID and make sure that we're having less people die of COVID or get hospitalized from COVID. So that has been our focus. But then we know there's so many more folks we need to get to. Um, and getting to you know 70 or 80% of our population uh, vaccinated, we know is gonna take some time. I think it's going to be well into the summer um, until vaccine is more widely available for all North Carolinians. So we still have a ways to go. Awesome. So many urban residents we are seeing are driving out of town to smaller communities because they're better able to get appointments there. If the system allows for such, that's okay. But are they are they creating a barrier to those who live in these smaller communities and maybe have less access to the vaccine? So we know that in our agreement with the federal government, these are these are a, a resource paid for by the federal government, which means they're free to all of you, um, which is great. But it also means we can't restrict from jurisdictions. But I want to um, emphasize, you know, our team shared with me this morning, you know, I, I asked how many folks are really going across county lines, and it's really just about 14%. So really a pretty small percentage of the total are actually leaving their county to get vaccinated. I think we hear about it a lot, but it's actually the real minority. Um, most folks are getting vaccinated close to home, which is good. Um, and folks are saying, well, are we vaccinating people out of state? Less than 1% of our vaccine, 0.1% has gone to anyone outside of, of North Carolina. So we're doing a great job of getting our vaccines to North Carolinians. And frankly, folks are getting vaccinated close to home. So all that is good news, which is why we're continuing to allocate to all 100 counties, because we know folks are getting vaccinated close to home, which is good. That's great news. So A big gap in vaccinations that Dr. Patel and I are seeing at Transitions Life Care is our minority and higher at-risk populations. Are there specific community efforts underway to reach these communities? Great point. And what the governor has continued to articulate is that we need to make sure we are vaccinating quickly and equitably. And we have, um, we spent actually our entire press conference yesterday, the governor and I, talking about how we are approaching vaccinations from an equity perspective. And there's so many ways in which we're doing it, but it starts with getting vaccine to every community as well as well as working with providers who serve those communities. We also set aside additional vaccine to our counties that have higher um, populations of those who are African-American, Hispanic, Latinx, or um, American Indian. And we also use some of our uh, doses of vaccine to support specific events that can reach our underserved communities, whether that's partnering with churches or doing mobile units or setting aside um, appointments. Um, I think we're doing a much better job. If you look at our data, which you can on our dashboard, 
you can see our race and ethnicity data at the state level and at the county level. And what I'd say is we're, we're get, we're, I'd like to say we're the best at getting better. Um, we were about 10% of our vaccines were going to those who are African American three weeks ago. Last week, it was 18%. So we've made a big jump up, but that's still not good enough, right? African Americans represent 21, 22% of our population. So I want to see week over week that we're, we're vaccinating at least, if not more, um, African Americans, at least 21 or 22% of our vaccines going to our African American community. I think we have a lot of work to do still in the Hispanic Latinx community. We continue to see extremely low rates of vaccination in that community. So that's going to be a particular area of focus of ours going forward. One final question for you. What are your hopes and expectations and dreams over the next couple months <laughs> as, we, as we manage this pandemic and, and hope to turn the corner? Well, I think it is incredibly exciting that the scientific community has given us two vaccines that we are able to get out. The fact that we have 1.4 million doses in arms is amazing. Um, and so we have a new tool to beat back this pandemic, which is fantastic. We see our trends moving in the right direction, terrific. Um, I do think that there are some cautions out there. One is, as I keep saying, vaccine supply is low, so it's gonna take us time to protect everyone. So until we're able to get to uh, a place where there's vaccine available for everyone, those three W's are going to be with us, waiting six feet apart, wearing a face covering, uh, waiting six feet apart, washing your hands. Um, so the three W's are going to be with us for, for a bit, but there is hope on the way. Uh, vaccines are here. I'm excited about this new uh, potential third vaccine. Um, and thank you again for participating in trials. That's amazing. Um, so I'm hopeful for the future because we have these new tools. We just want folks to know to be patient for the next couple months with us. Um, and we will make sure to get vaccine to everyone. But I think it's going to be the summer until we're able to do that. We've had the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Mandy Cohen, the Secretary of the North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services. Dr. Cohen, thank you again so much for taking some time out of your busy schedule. We really appreciate everything that you and uh, everyone at the department is doing. We, we really appreciate your time. Well, thank you so much, everyone. Stay well, and I really appreciate the time this morning. A quick break and back with more. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF with your hosts, Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Don't forget, you can always find more about Transitions Life Care online at transitionslifecare.org, transitionslifecare.org. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas and our uh, special co-host today is Dr. Laura Patel. She's the Chief Medical Officer with Transitions Life Care. And we've got uh, another guest on the line, and that is Dr. David Kirk. And we're excited to speak with him as he is the Associate System Chief Medical Officer for Wake Med Hospitals. And we're going to get an update from uh, the Wake Med side of things. Dr. Kirk, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. 
Dr. Kirk, you've been super busy, we all know. Um, thankfully, we haven't been in the who is saved and who isn't position, it feels like, in this state, um, like we've seen on the news a bit with rashing of care. Um, but we did see a little bit of that on the news, and we are want to share with our listeners, what are things really like right now across your health system? Is it getting better? It, it is. We're kind of coming out of this surge, uh, and it's good to be able to catch our breath a little bit. Luckily, we've not had the ration care as other hospital sus- systems have, like uh, Los Angeles County was the most recent one in the hospital a few weeks ago. Um, our biggest limitation has been resources. Um, hospitals depend on thousands of items coming in every day. And when the supply chain got damaged from this pandemic, we had to kind of deal with that. How are we going to handle when things uh, don't show up on our back door? Um, so we've pulled together teams. Uh, we've come up with uh, great ways to navigate that, um, including 3D printing supplies, reaching out to NC State for supplies, inventing things. Um, and through this way, we've um, kept our staff out of having to improvise personal protective gear like you may have seen um, in other states. Um, we never want to see nurses using garbage bags for PPE, for example, and bandanas for respiratory equipment. We've avoided all that by really taking a team-based approach and an innovative approach. Uh, we've had everything that we've needed to keep our patients safe, everything we've needed to keep our staff safe, and certainly has kept us from having to rationalize, uh, ration care um, like many other unfortunate organizations have had to do. Dr. Kirk, we know that WAGMED is such a key hub for the community to access care. Can you talk a little bit about the treatments for COVID-19 and, and how, if they've improved since the beginning of the pandemic? I know we've learned a lot, and I know WakeMed has also been a leader for some of the newer treatments like the monoclonal antibody infusion. So we'd love to hear what's going on in that space with you right now. Absolutely. So we have several wonderful treatments now available. The first is dexamethasone. It's a steroid. It's been around for a long time. And we know with COVID, it greatly improves outcome in hospitalized patients who need oxygen. So for us, as, as part of the ICU team, that's been a great weapon for us to keep people out of the ICU. The second is remdesivir, uh, which has been widely publicized. It's a daily infusion that hospitalized patients get, and it directly attacks that virus. So it's part of that initial trying to put out the fire. And then the most exciting recently, as you alluded to, is the monoclonal antibodies. Uh, these are artificially produced clones of our body's natural immunity. It directly attacks the virus. Uh, you might remember our previous president received this therapy. It's a one-time infusion. It should be used uh, as soon as possible in the first few days of symptoms. Um, we have, as soon as it became available to us from the state, we have uh, set up an infusion clinic here at WakeMed. We've now supplied uh, this therapy over to over uh, 600 patients. Now um, we estimate that that's kept uh, 60 or 70 patients out of the hospital through these infusions. Um, it, it's primary use is in patients who are high risk of complications from COVID, and this includes all patients over the age of 65, as Dr. Cohen alluded to. Um, it's a drug released under emergency use, so the balance between risk and benefit will be unique for each person. Uh, so that's really a personal discuss- discussion between uh, a patient and their provider. Um, but if you have symptoms, um, you should talk to your provider as early as possible um, to see if monoclonal antibodies might be an option for you. And then, of course, prevention uh, beats treatment any day. So as Dr. Cohen alluded to, getting the vaccine and protecting yourself and masking and social distancing um, is better than any of these new potential uh, and and therapies that are out now. Uh, Protecting yourself before you get infected is the most important thing. That's great. We're also seeing um, this idea of hospital at home 
coming up and being talked about more. Is is WakeMed doing this, and are you man- how are you managing people with COVID at home, maybe who don't aren't sick enough to be hospitalized? That's a great question. Uh, we are doing hospital at home. Um, that's a good option for people who are kind of in that borderline that we would traditionally put in the hospital. Um, and when people are um, less able to get out and uh, follow up with their regular doctor, this is a great option. So basically, we bring the care to them at home. Um, one of the most important aspects of that is checking their oxygen levels. We know that with COVID, some patients have this hidden drop in their oxygen levels. And by us frequently checking on them, we're able to uh, check to check their levels. Um, the other great thing about hospital and home is it's been able to keep some people who don't have COVID um, who need hospitalization. It also allows us to keep close eye on them. So as our hospitals get filled with COVID inpatients, it allows us to kind of decompress the hospital and cu- keep some people safely at home who otherwise would need a traditional hospital bed. So some listeners could be put in a situation where they need urgent care and are concerned about going to the emergency room. What new safety measures do you all have at WakeBed in place um, through the pandemic and is going to the emergency department safe? Um, Absolutely. And COVID-19 certainly made our emergency rooms busier. Um, However, people being scared to go to the regular doctor visits and ultimately getting sicker and having to go to the emergency room or urgent care has also made uh, those uh, much busier. So I do want to stress keeping up with those regular appointments, keeping in with your regular treatment team is very, very important uh, to keep you out of uh, trouble and requiring the emergency room or urgent care. But if you really need um, emergency room or urgent care, it's one of the safest places in the state to be. Everybody who enters our system for any reason is screened with a temperature check. They're asked all these different questions about potential COVID symptoms to make sure that people with COVID um, are not brought into the system. All patients are tested before procedures. All patients are tested before being admitted to the hospital. So there's not that hidden infection area. Uh, People who um, may have the infection but be asymptomatic, that pre-testing makes sure that those people don't get into the hospital and in the system. Everybody's required to wear a mask. All employees wear high-grade medical masks. Uh, We've modified our waiting areas to make social distancing as early as possible. Um, We've also limited visitors to decrease potential exposures. We've worked with our cleaning crew to to add additional cleaning protocols, disinfection protocols, to make sure that anything you could potentially touch, touch within our organization is hygienic as possible. And then as extra caution, all of our COVID patients are treated in special areas, often with special airflow. So this makes sure that everybody in our hospital is safe as absolutely as possible. Our hospitals, our clinic, our urgent cares, our emergency rooms are extremely safe, much safer than going to the grocery store, much safer than almost any other public area because we follow the CDC guidelines. Uh, We are big believers of the science and we are big believers and uh, really learned on how to keep everybody as safe as possible. That's great information. Are elective procedures still on hold and what really qualifies as an elective procedure? Sure. So we briefly paused elective procedures in March and April. As the initial rolls of the pandemic was coming out, uh, we wanted to make sure that we could absorb that blow. Um, What we figured out is when you delay cases that people Um, get sicker from that. Um, So us, along with every other hospital in the state, has really uh, worked hard not to shut down their operating uh, uh, suites. Um, The overwhelming of all 
overwhelming number of offer procedures have continued. At times, we have had to temporarily delay cases if the hospital is full and we anticipated the patient would need to stay in a hospital after surgery because we wouldn't want to do a case and the patient not have a bed ready for them. But when the beds are super tight, what happens is our surgical teams all come together each morning and they, they discuss every case with a kind of fine-tooth comb uh, to see who would be the safest to delay. It's really, really rare that we've needed to reschedule patients. However, when we do it, we want to make sure that we do it as safely as possible. So, for example, someone that might have a life-threatening cardiac issue, we would not delay that. Um, somebody that might have a concern that they might have cancer, we wouldn't want to delay that because sitting at home wondering if you have cancer or not is such a huge stress. Uh, but if there's something that can be managed and patients are put at a very little discomfort at home, um, they've been very open to waiting a few days to make sure that we can get them in um, and make sure we can get that, safe, that case done as safely as possible. Yeah, that is quite an undertaking to coordinate, and we appreciate your efforts and your time this afternoon. He is Dr. David Kirk, Associate System Chief Medical Officer with WakeMed, and you can find more about WakeMed online anytime at wakemed.org, wakemed.org. Dr. David Kirk, thanks again for your time. We really appreciate it. Anytime. Thank you. Yes, sir. A quick break and back with more. Stick around. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. If you have questions for the show, you can email agingmatters at transitionslifecare.org. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk traffic. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas and Dr. Laura Patel, Chief Medical Officer with Transitions Life Care. And Mary, we had uh, two very high-profile guests to start the show, so we didn't even really get to spend some time chatting with Dr. Patel. We just only had uh, enough time for a brief introduction, but uh, we're very excited, Dr. Patel, to have you here in the studio. Um, you know, We appreciate your time and uh, your, your perspective on things. Thanks for having me. I think jumping right in, you know, we've heard a good overview from uh, Secretary Cohen and Dr. Kirk, um, but now let's get to the nitty gritty basics and a frontline update from Transitions. Um, I just want to talk basic vaccines and start with, you know, the 101. Can you get COVID from the vaccine? I think it's something we keep hearing out in the community. Um, am I going to get the virus from getting the vaccine? Yeah, I think that's, you know, that's a common concern. Um, in reality, there is no live virus in this vaccine. So what the va what the vaccine has is something called messenger RNA or mRNA, and it's basically like a little tool that gives instructions to your body to make a protein that the virus carries. And then your body sees that protein and can produce its immune response so that the next time it sees that virus, your body then kind of brings out its army of antibodies to fight it to make sure that you don't get sick. So as soon as you get the vaccine and your body kind of has those instructions, that is quickly um, degraded and just sort of disappears. So there's nothing in the vaccine that stays in your body. Um, the only thing that stays is your body's memory of what this protein looks like so that it can be on the ready if it ever sees it again. 
So it's not changing my DNA. You're not tracking me or can you see where I go after I get the vaccine? (laughs) Nope. There's nothing in the vaccine that would be tracking or um, that would alter your DNA in any way. That's good news. I I guess, you know, everyone has an Alexa and carries their cell phone around. I I hear about, you know, is the vaccine going to follow me or are you injecting me with something? And so none of that is going on. None of that is happening. And I think, yeah, we'd probably be more worried about our cell phones than the vaccine in that respect. So we've seen hopeful news and we talked to Secretary Cohen about this a little bit earlier of new vaccines on the way. I'm curious to hear if there's each of these new vaccines, is is it better than the previous? Should people be waiting for the next best, thi- best thing, or are they basically all the same? Yeah, so I think, you know, the Pfizer vaccine was the first one that was approved, um, and so that was the first one that was starting to be distributed to mainly hospital systems, and, and the reason for that was that it required really sub-zero temperatures to maintain the stability of the vaccine. The Moderna vaccine is a little more stable and so it doesn't require quite the refrigeration, although it still does. But they're both they're both using the same technology, which is that mRNA technology. And those are the two vaccines that we have available right now. They're very equivalent in terms of their efficacy. So they both are around, you know, once you get the, the two shots of the vaccine, they're both around 94, 95% um, effective in preventing you from getting infected. So both of them are are great options, and it really depends on where you're getting your vaccine, which one that institution or public, you know, county health is using. Um, my best advice is whatever you have available, whatever the next appointment is, take it. It doesn't doesn't make a difference whether it's Pfizer or Moderna. And I think, um, you know, there are more vaccines on the horizon, and. Um, the AstraZeneca and Johnson and Johnson are in trials, and and probably as Dr. Cohen mentioned, you know, hopefully we'll get emergency use authorization in the near future. Those use a little bit of a different type of technology, so those are not using the same mRNA technology. But also, you know, the trials so far are suggesting very um, positive outcomes. So, you know, biggest piece of advice is what is available at your appointment and take that one. And mm-hmm. I think you know from my personal experience. Um, I know that this is a question on a lot of people's minds. My mother-in-law was in line to get her vaccine and she called me kind of in a panic saying, they're giving the Pfizer, should I wait for the Moderna? And I said, no, 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 just get, get the vaccine, whatever they're giving, get, get it. Because that is the most important thing is whatever is available to you right now. I've definitely heard a similar story, so I'm, I'm on board with that. Um, are two doses necessary, and can you get two different vaccines, or does it have to be the same vaccine twice? So the clinical trials were done with two vaccines. The Pfizer is uh, one dose, about 21 days um, apart is the second dose. The Moderna is about four weeks between doses. And so the, the second dose essentially acts as a booster to your body to generate an even more powerful immune response. Um, they are looking at, you know, what is the, is there, can we extend that time between doses? Do we need the second dose? Um, the initial data suggested that after the first Pfizer dose, your, your um, efficacy was about 50%. So you reduce your chance of getting the infection by about 50%. After the second dose, about a week after when your body has sort of generated that additional immune response, that's when you get to the 95%. So right now, you know, the the guidance is that we do need to follow those two dose um, vaccine protocols. And you need to stick with whatever the vaccine was that you originally got. You know, as with everything COVID, things do change as we get more and more data and more time passes. So 
that may that guidance may change down the line in the future, but that is what the guidance is right now. Perfect. One of my favorite questions I've heard recently, um, I've gotten the vaccine or I've gotten COVID. Do I really have to wear a mask anymore or can I wear a t-shirt that says I got the vaccine or I've had COVID, I'm immune? Um, are we 100% safe after the vaccine or are you really immune to COVID after you've had COVID? Yeah, I think there's still um, some questions about that. We need more information about how long our immunity lasts. And we also need more information about does the vaccine prevent me from carrying the virus unknowingly and still potentially being able to transmit it to someone else? So the studies were designed to look at, do, does this vaccine prevent me from getting sick? And the answer to that is a resounding yes. It prevents you from getting sick. And not only that, it really prevents you from getting critically ill. So almost nobody got critically ill, I went to the ICU, who got this vaccine. And that is what our goal is. We don't want people to die from this disease. But it wasn't, it wasn't studied um, yet to show, could I still potentially unknowingly transmit it to someone else? And you know what we're trying to do is, until we can get more and more people vaccinated, we just want to do whatever we can to prevent spread. Because it is going to take, as, as Dr. Cohen said, it, is, it may take into the summer before we can really get enough people vaccinated in our state for for them to all have protection. So um, keep that mask on for now. There will come a time where we will be able to gather and and socialize and things without that. But now we still need we're still in the midst of this pandemic and we need to do every tool that we have to reduce the spread in our communities and to protect our loved ones. Definitely. Um, so does a COVID test mean that I have a free pass to gather socially? I, you know, I have a baby shower coming up and I'm just going to go get tested. I don't have COVID. So now I can hug people and, you know, see my friends. Is that true? Yeah. So, I mean, it's great to get tested and to, you know, to be kind of aware of, of your status before you gather, particularly if you're gathering with high risk individuals. Um, and we often test, you know, prior to going into nursing homes and things to try to do, you know, early detection, essentially. But the reality is that that's only a, a glimpse in time. So that's saying right now, at this moment, when you got that blood or that nasal swab done, you do not have COVID-19. But that doesn't mean that tomorrow, you know, you could have you could have you could have been brewing it and the test it just wasn't the viral load wasn't high enough to pick it up. And so you're still um, potentially infectious. Or maybe you went to the grocery store right after you got that test and you were exposed. So because of that uncertainty, it's really best to, yes, you can get a negative COVID test, but still when you're gathering, you know, try to make the choices that reduce transmission. Do it outside if you can. Keep your distance, wear a mask, and keep the number of people limited. There's a, a lot to kind of uh, put together when it comes to knowing what to do. But I think erring on the side of caution, if, if you do have any questions or if you uh, aren't sure of what might be safe and what not, might not be safe, just go ahead and take the most precautious approach. And that will probably be, uh, that will probably work out for the best outcome for you. We're taking a quick break, but we will be back with more. Stick around. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. News, talk, traffic. 
This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk traffic. Find more about Transitions Life Care online anytime at transitionslifecare.org. Transitionslifecare.org. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas and Dr. Laura Patel. And uh, Dr. Patel, thank you again so much for coming in. It's been uh, wonderful to get your perspective and your information on things. And uh, Mary, I know you still had a couple more questions. I have a burning question to ask. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it's something that has been on my mind since we've started the pandemic. My grandfather, who is 94 and who I've talked about on the show before, um, he uses palliative care and something um, that we thought a lot about as a family is keeping him safe during the pandemic. And a lot of that means staying staying at home Um, and seeing his physicians started to be over telemedicine, which has um, been a, a, quite an adventure, um, teaching him how to get off mute from um, another <laughs> telephone uh, while he's trying to see a provider has been challenging. But is remote patient monitoring and telemedicine, is this what we're going to see as the new normal and the changing landscape of healthcare for the years to come? Yeah, I think when when the pandemic started in the spring, many of us were starting to integrate aspects of telemedicine, but there wasn't great reimbursement for it. And so it was really hard to you know, do it in a systematic way. Um, but then the pandemic hit and all of a sudden practices like ours and, and many, many others switched almost overnight to being able to do almost their whole platform on telemedicine because patients still needed care. They still needed to reach their doctors, but we needed to be able to do it in a safe way. And now I think as, as the pandemic has gone on, we've gotten more to this kind of middle ground where people still need to come in and see their doctors for many things and that is the right place and the right way to do care but then there's many things that telemedicine can be used to supplement or in between visits or increase access to rural areas or different ways and because there has been some changes at the um, medicare you know reimbursement level to help support that type of care you know i think it's really allowing us to be able to provide better care for people. And I think it's going to be something that we're going to see continued um, really on into the future as another tool that we use to help manage patients. Yeah, the pandemic certainly sped up the timeline with telemedicine, but uh, as we get more comfortable with it and uh, doctors even get more comfortable with it, then you know it can be a very powerful tool, especially for those who are in more rural areas. Well, we usually have Sam Peterson here in the studio and she thought she had the afternoon off, but just when <laughs> just when she got out, we pulled her back in. Sam, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Absolutely, and you're right. I thought I was free. <laughs> you can run, but you can't hide. <laughs> Sam, I wanted to chat with you. You know, we've heard from Dr. Cohen and Dr. Kirk and now Dr. Patel. We wanted to talk to you a little bit from um, a different perspective. So you've had COVID and thankfully you are doing much better and you've recovered. Um, Can you talk to us a little bit about your experience having COVID? Yeah, so I contracted COVID uh, mid-November. My husband was kind enough to pass it on to me (laughs) after he caught it first. Um, But thankfully, we were both very lucky in that we had very mild cases, um, just a low-grade fever, um, and really lots of fatigue and a headache were really my main symptoms. So I'm fortunate it took me about a week um, 
or even two weeks, though, to kind of get out of that um, COVID fog. I've heard a lot of people referring to it as Mm -hmm. uh, just feeling really tired and took me a while to kind of get back up to snuff to where I was before COVID. Well, we're very thankful that you're feeling better. And now, thanks to your role in healthcare at Transitions Life Care, you've received your first dose of the vaccine. Did you did have having COVID change your perspective on getting the vaccine? Uh, yes, I think it did a little bit. You know, I've been hearing that there's some different strains that could be floating around out there. I really did not want to experience having COVID again. And I know in my role you know, and where I work in healthcare, I really wanted to kind of add that extra layer to help protect myself and the people I work with, as well as my family and friends as well. Definitely. So how are you feeling after your first dose? We know we talked about it on a little bit on the show last week when we were closing <laughs> off and um, you you have had your vaccine since the last show. So how are you feeling? Yes, I am feeling good today. I will be honest, the day after I felt pretty rough. Um, I had a lot of fatigue, chills, um, sweats too, which was <laughs> very exciting. Um, but really, those symptoms lasted about 24 hours, and by the next day, I was feeling pretty good. Um, you know, definitely worth it. While it sucked to feel so bad for a full day, I definitely take that over getting COVID again. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. I think that it, it's total. It is worth it to get the vaccine and not yeah. have to worry about COVID. And also, uh, you know, Dr. Patel and I were talking about this a little bit earlier. The because we've both also been vaccinated, having less anxiety around you know going out yeah. and and doing basic things like going to the grocery store and going to the pharmacy. Um, there's just less anxiety there. Yes, that's definitely true. And, you know, it's just a step to kind of get things back to normal. And I'm happy to be part of that step to try to get our world back to where we were before. Absolutely. So as someone who is frontline talking to our patients and families, I know that you meet with a lot of people who are considering coming on to hospice or palliative care. Would you recommend the vaccine after going through the whole experience from having COVID to getting the vaccine and now waiting for your second dose? Um, What could you tell patients and families who are listening to the show? Yeah, I would absolutely recommend doing it. You know, even though I did have some not so fun symptoms the next day, like I said, it was totally worth it because when I did have COVID, it took me so long to get back to feeling like normal. And for me, I did not enjoy that feeling. I didn't like feeling so tired. I wanted to get right back to my life and how I was doing things. So for me, getting that vaccine to prevent ever catching it again is was huge for me and then again the factor like i mentioned it's so important to do not just for yourself but for others too especially if you're a family caregiver caring for a loved one who is at a higher risk Um, it's just not worth it to take those risks with them Uh, so i would recommend getting vaccinated to anyone who can and is able that's a great point you brought up because Dr. Wittis was on the show uh, last week from Wake County Health Department, and he mentioned that caregivers who are not 65 and over um, and are not registered nurses but are caregivers in the home can actually get the vaccine now. Um, and that was something yeah. that a lot of our listeners didn't know, and I think was a very 
important point to bring up um, that you can get the vaccine now. And I thought a great tip and trick he had and talked with us about last week that I've been sharing like crazy is, um, you know, sign up for all the health systems, Duke, UNC, Wake Med, and then sign up for the health department and see who reaches out to you first, because we know there's been a lot of challenges with getting the vaccine. I really like that tip and trick he shared. I've been sharing it all over the place. Um, And he he also said, once you get that email from whoever it is that can give you the vaccine, don't worry about calling all the rest of them back because you're just going to clog up the phone line. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, definitely. Yeah, Sam, thank you so much again for uh, giving us a buzz here on the show. Um, like I said, we, we you thought you had the afternoon off, but we really wanted to get your perspective <laughs> and uh, your That's unique okay. experience. Well, we look forward to having you back in the studio next week, and we'll, we'll get a, a full report from you as you're back in the studio. And before we head out today, Dr. Patel, I want to thank you again so much for your perspective and for answering some questions for us. We know... Uh, you know the the pandemic continues, and uh, at this point, we we still have many questions, and some there's some misinformation out there. So we really appreciate you shedding some light on some of that. It's my pleasure. And uh, again, thank you to our guests, Dr. Mandy Cohen and Dr. David Kirk. Uh, those were some wonderful high-profile guests, and uh, we appreciate their time and insight. Hey, if you missed either of those segments and you want to go back and listen to them, you can do so by heading on over to WPTF.com. Just click on the podcast section. There you're going to want to find Aging Matters, and you can find this show as well as all of our past shows in podcast form. WPTF.com. Click on the podcast button and find Aging Matters matters. We are just about out of time for today. Uh, Also remind you, if you want to find more about Transitions Life Care, just head on over to transitionslifecare.org, transitionslifecare.org. On behalf of Mary Lucas and Dr. Laura Patel, I am Jason Kong, thanking you for listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk traffic. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org.